and learning to sift and scrutinize with fresh eyes. I really wanted to see the earth through archaeologists' eyes. What do they observe in a pile of ruins? How does a shard of pottery or an ancient tooth help them piece together the past? How can they help us recapture and preserve our history? I chased the real thing for this book, up to the summit of Machu Picchu, and down to the chilly waters of Newport, Rhode Island. I became a keen collector of archaeologists and a connoisseur of their skills. I sought experts on different eras who specialize in a variety of artifacts. I hunted for archaeologists in places that don't ordinarily attract archaeological attention. The Caribbean and the weedy edge of Fishkill, New York, where archaeologists piece together history post-Columbus, from plantations and graves. I found my way to a classical-era excavation in the Mediterranean with a group of earth whisperers, and got a taste of old-world archaeology from the Bronze Age to the fall of Rome. I studied ancient humans and followed an archaeologist whose passion is the Ice Age. I followed archaeologists who work with the military, with homicide cops, and with brewers. I met archaeologists from Peru, Japan, Australia, the UK, Germany, the Netherlands, Israel, and Zimbabwe. I found as many female sources as male ones in this once male-dominated field. I sweated and excavated alongside my guides. They tossed out most of what I found. In turn, I exercised my own prerogative as a writer and tossed out all the chaff, jargon, measurements, calibrated radiocarbon dates and theories that seemed too needlessly technical for non-scientists, or that failed to illuminate the essential character of the archaeologist. What does it take to spend your life scratching into the surface of this planet? Why does it matter? And, by the way, how much beer is involved? Such is the nature of my quest. One graduate student told me, When the apocalypse comes, you want to know an archaeologist, because we know how to make fire, catch food, and create hill forts. And I promptly added her to my address book. Knows how to make hill forts. Who can say when that will come in handy? Of course, she continued, referring to the long-term employment prospects for her and her classmates. We will end up living in cardboard boxes, just as our parents fear. Archaeological fieldwork is messy, usually short-term work for hire, assessing land for imminent development, to certify that this skyscraper or that pipeline or strip mall won't destroy an ancient village or a sacred burial ground. Those who persevere in the profession fight like cats to get these jobs, and work like dogs to keep them. And for all their expertise, competence, breadth of experience, and even cockiness, they are continually humbled by their subject. For people who know so much, there is so much they can never know. One archaeologist said with a shrug, Someone will find most of my first book all wrong. And another said of his students, What they'll know in ten years will put us to shame. I was drawn to those with experience, long-term perspective, scars, and stories 
the toughest I could find. Four years ago, I stood in the National Museum of Ireland Archaeology in Dublin, contemplating vast quantities of ancient gold objects churned up by the bogs of Ireland. Hammered collars, big gold balls, gold diadems and bracelets, and things to stick in your ears, they think. At the time, the Irish economy was tanking. Dublin was running, as far as I could tell, on what spilled out of the pockets of Brits during their bachelor parties. And yet here was all this gold, artifacts floating in display cases like jewelry from Brobdingnag. Behind the main room of the museum, tucked out of sight and discreetly concealed from casual view, was another sort of archaeological bounty surrendered.